you know, the, the whole idea of living healed and whole really centers on our saying and our believing. We're going we're gonna to unpack that statement here in just a minute. But we get to a place where the Bible says we call those things as not as though they are. What does that mean? That's easier read out of scripture than it is actually practice. But we all understand this concept. We, we call things that aren't as though they are. How many of you have ever gone to get a new job or raise, promotion, something like that? If you've ever done that, you've had that conversation within yourself where you've said that job is mine, I'm gonna get it, it's nobody else's, I'm going after it. You've had that conversation within your own heart where you've said that promotion is mine, it's mine no matter what happens, I'm going for it, I'm gonna get it, they have to give it to me, I'm the guy for it. How many of you have ever gotten a new car that you just, man, you just had to have? That one vehicle, right? You had that conversation in your head and in your heart and many times out loud with your spouse or a loved one or someone around you that you trust. I've got to have that car. Until I get that car, man, life just won't be right. We, we do this all the time, but when it comes to our faith life, for some reason, we slow the brakes and we say, well, I can't, you know, we can't really, can't really do those things in faith. Well, let's really look at what the scripture says. We've come to a place at times where we dismiss the words and believing of our, of our own mouth and of our own heart because we think we're so frail in our human nature that we couldn't possibly go after what God has for us. See, most people get to the place in life where they don't focus on what Jesus actually said. We focus on commentary of what Jesus said, what the preachers say, what did the Facebook memes say. You know, we have these Facebook memes that go around that, that have nothing to do with the word of God, but man, we'll, we'll talk about them like they're real. Have you ever heard that idea of, uh, you know, God won't give you anything more than you can handle? That's not in the Bible. That's a cat poster. That has nothing to do with Scripture. Yet there are people that will quote it like it's absolute gospel. We get, in our mind at times, we get so off-center of what Jesus said, we get to the hermeneutics, the homiletics, the philosophy behind the Scripture, but we don't actually respond to what Jesus has actually said. Listen, what Jesus said it means way more than what some commentary says, than what some pastor says. And I know we're all here to gain, uh, to glean and to learn from the word of God. And you're here to hopefully understand that I did my homework. But today I wanna just present to you really the words of Jesus. We have to keep the sayings of Jesus central. We have to understand that Jesus is not a man that he could lie. He is God. He is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Psalms chapter 119 and verse 160 says, the sum of your words are truth. That the sum of the words of God, the totality of the words of God actually are truth. That there's so much truth to be unpacked there. Hebrews chapter six and verse 18 says that it's impossible for God to lie. We have to come to a place where we are convinced in our faith before we even read the words of Jesus that what he says is true, that what God says is true, and that what the Holy Spirit says to our life is true. Faith literally is that simple, that we come to a place in an understanding where we believe God and what he says is true, that he cannot lie, that no matter what it is, what he places in front of, in front of us is a true fact. It doesn't matter if you're believing for a healing in your body or for $10 million for a business proposition and you don't have two nickels to rub together. The fact is if God called you out, even on that turbulent water, that you have to believe that his sayings are true. Everything God calls us to, everything is impossible or expensive. I've never experienced a moment where God called me to do anything. It didn't cost us tons of money. I don't care what it was. God said, go out and do this. It was way more than I had in my bank account. And at times, the, what he called me to do wasn't really that much money in the light of you know, life now, but it was a lot of money to me then. 
And at times, what, what God had called me to overcome really isn't impossible for me today, but at that moment in time, it was an impossibility. I couldn't get over that in my own strength no matter what. See, there are always times in life where these mountains, where they're expensive, they're immovable, they're impossible. There's something that we look at and we think we can never truly conquer them. They're unbelievable but that's exactly where faith life starts, where the faith that Jesus literally says we can have starts in those impossible moments. Living healed and whole centers around a common scripture, a very common scripture, a faith-filled scripture in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. It starts with this, truly I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed or be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Let me give you a little background. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. They were in awe because they had just passed a fig tree that had died. A few uh, days before, Jesus had walked past this fig tree. He was hungry. In fact, he was hangry. He looked at this fig tree and it didn't have figs on it. He went to pick a fig, no fig. And it wasn't even time for figs. In fact, in fact, the Bible records that it wasn't the season for figs. Yet he was upset about it. He cursed the fig tree and walked on. He went to the temple and there he found religious practices where people were being ripped off where money changers were ripping people off. He got so indignant, he, to- he, he tossed over the money changers' tables. He, he stopped the business of the temple. They, re- they literally ran him out of the temple. The, he and the disciples walked by that fig tree that he had cursed after that moment. That fig tree's dried up and it's withered. They're in awe. They're like, Jesus, I can't believe it. It actually happened. You cursed the fig tree. It's dried up. What, what gives? He says, if you think that's impressive, If you think that's impressive, truly I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about some arbitrary mountain off in the distance. Jesus was literally pointing to the temple mound where the temple was. He was prophesying yet teaching at the same time. He was prophesying of the eventual demise of the temple. And we know through history that that temple was eventually, literally not one stone was left unturned. It was literally crumbled. But he was also speaking to this idea that you could speak to a dead religious system, a dead religious barrier, some religious barrier in your heart and your mind that isn't allowing you to move past your station of hurt, your station of brokenness. It's not allowing you to move past the station of life where you have lack. He said you can speak to that religious issue and literally uproot it and cast it over on itself. See, this idea uh, gets kind of in a little bit of turbulence in our minds because we have this genetically altered Christianity that many of us believe in. That we're taught that we're to be mountain climbers rather than mountain dissolvers. That if there's an obstacle in our way that we are to to scratch, we are to claw, we are to work it out within ourselves. If we figure out in our own strength how to climb the mountain, then we've earned it and then God will bless us and then we can move forward. Yet nothing in this scripture speaks to our own efforts other than our willingness to believe. We have to come to a place where we literally speak to our mountain, yet too many Christians are spending their time trying to climb a mountain that they've been meant to, that's been meant to be dissolved in their life. Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea. God in this verse literally gives you the inspiration through the Holy Spirit. Take this mountain, move it out of your way. The Holy Spirit in this verse isn't even mentioned. God isn't mentioned. Jesus isn't mentioned. 
this is God, this is Jesus, God in human flesh, speaking to us of our potential. Mark eleven twenty three 23 is not about God's power uprooting the mountain. It's not about God's ability to dismiss the obstacle that stands in your way. It's not about God coming in and somehow figuring out a way, unbeknownst to you, to fix your problem. No, this is literally God saying, Jesus, God in human form, saying that he has faith in us. That, we, that he has enough faith in, us, faith in us that if we will speak to the mountain, that it will be pulled up from its roots and cast over on itself. When are we going to believe what Jesus says about us? Is it gonna take another century, another millennia? When will we simply believe that we can do what Jesus says we can do? Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Truly I say to you, the words of Jesus, whoever says to that mountain, that old dead religious issue that's taking up space, that's an impediment to who you are and what you can have, that's an impediment to the promise of God in your life, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. The words of Jesus in full faith that you and I have that same type of verbal power in our words, that we have that same type of confession power in our words, that if we believe what we're praying for, if we believe what we're going after, that we can have it and we can have it in abundance. But when are we gonna come to the place where we believe that the God of the universe that we serve, the God-man that hung on the cross, the God-man that emptied out the grave, that we celebrated last week his resurrection, when will we come to the place where we believe the words he says, that he paid for our victory, that he paved the way for the promises. Jesus literally says that we can remove the mountain that's in our place, that's in our way, and tell it where to go, man. And some of us in our faith life, we have a problem with that. Well, you want, you want me to tell the sickness in my body where to go? Why not? You tell people where to go all the time. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you'll tell them where to go. You can go to, and you can finish that other word there if you'd like to. Someone doesn't zipper emerge properly and we'll, man, we'll tell them where to go real quickly. We'll even tell them to take a jump, jump in that river. We have no problem when we get angry. We have no problem when we have obstacles in our life that are just that momentary seed of, I'm upset. But when it becomes something long-term or when it becomes something that's plaguing or when it becomes an obstacle that we don't think we can, we can jump over, we have a hard time speaking to it, let alone telling it where to go. Yet Jesus is literally speaking to us. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Listen to what he says here. He says, if you don't doubt in your heart, not doubt in your head. Doubt in your head and doubt in your heart are two different things. Let me clarify this for a second, because many of us get under condemnation because we have a doubt in our head. A, a contrary thought flies into our brain and we think, well, there I'm doubting and I've destroyed my faith. That's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says, if you, if you don't doubt in your heart. Now, we all have moments in time. I don't care if you're the Pope, or I don't care if you're just a brand new Christian. This is your first day walking with Jesus. We all have moments in time where we doubt in our head, where thoughts come in that are contrary to the promises of God. They're rogue thoughts that kind of want to run around our life and, and preach to us these contrary measures. 
to the promises of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, this is how we're to deal with those contrary thoughts, that we are to, to destroy speculation and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Because we know him, we know his character, we know he loves us, we know he's for us, we know he has benefits for us. Because we know him, we can actually hear the thoughts that come into our head and say, that's not of God. That's contrary to the things of God. And then it says, that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that that contrary thought, we are to force into subjection to looking like the mold of Jesus. This word for obedience in the Greek is a submission to what we have heard, that we are to take these contrary thoughts and force them to be submissive to what we have heard. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing. So there's a level of faith that each of us have in our heart. Maybe for you at this point, it's simply, I believe that God is a good God because of John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only son, that if I believe in him, I won't perish, but I'll have everlasting life. And maybe that contrary thought is simple. It's you're not good enough for salvation. And you can say, no, no, I know I'm good enough. John says it. I believe the words of John. And so I'm gonna force that thought to come back in the subjection to the word of God. Maybe the contrary thought is when you're sick and you feel the pain and the anguish of being sick and you think to yourself, I'll never be whole. And you can say, no, I'm the healed of God. I know what Isaiah says and prophesied and I know what Christ paid for on that tree, that I have been healed by his stripes, that by those wounds, by those stripes, I am healed, that we force it back into subjection to the will of God. Let me give you an example. It's a lot like typing on a, on a keyboard or a keypad. You know, when you're texting someone and you're flying through your text and autocorrect happens and it throws out a word that you didn't intend it to, what's the first thing you do? You backspace or delete. When we have those contrary thoughts in our head, we don't have to let them fester. We don't have to let them gain roots in our brain. We can literally learn to delete those. That's not my thought, delete that. That's not, that's not even according to the will of God for me. Delete that thought. You get that thought in your brain and you're having a hard time financially. You have that thought that comes flying into your brain. Oh, this is gonna be bad. You're gonna miss that payment. It's gonna hit your credit. It's gonna destroy your credit. You're never gonna have good credit. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be able to pay your bills. God, man, you've been in such bad financial shape. This is, this is all you get. There's a life of lack. And that thought can plague you. And we have the right to say, that's not my thought that I know that God paved a way for my abundance, that I know that God paved a way so that he can meet every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, that there's no room for lack, that you can literally hit the delete button on those issues in your life. Those, those moments where something wants to creep up, a thought wants to creep up that's contrary, that you can hit the delete button that says that you're never gonna fix that relationship that's broken. No, I can fix it and it can be whole and it can be healed and it can be mended. Maybe not through my power, but I know through the power of the cross. You know, once we learn to manage those thoughts and force them into subjection to the word of God, what we're actually learning in, Matthew, or in Mark is that we learn to set our faith like a thermostat. Like the thermostat over here on the wall, that if we were all to pick our comfort level, right? If you were to pick it at 65 and you were to pick it at 70 and you were to pick it at 62 and you were to pick it at 80 and we all go over and keep hitting that number and chasing our comfort level, what happens? 
The thermostat never really works. The temperature never gets to the desired station. It can't. It has to be set to get there. In the same way, God is saying that if we believe in our heart, if we, ste- if we are steadfast in our heart, that if we allow ourselves to set that temperature, eventually we are going to have the promise that God's given us. Eventually we are going to have the promise that we're seeking. Now that kind of deals with the head. But the scripture says that we're not to doubt in our heart. There's a difference to be made there. That we're not to doubt in our hearts because out of the heart flows the issues of life as we learned in the, in the Old Testament. That we're to guard our heart, to put guard around our heart because out from it flows all of the issues of life. What's the difference between our head and our heart? It's what we speak. Eventually, what you believe comes out of you. Eventually, what you believe in your heart starts to come out. See, there's an old practice when you're hiring someone and the idea of uh, uh, hiring and, and, and different um, practices with that. And my wife works for a hiring organization. They, they see this all the time. They let candidates come in who are interviewing for a job and they, they let them talk. Let them talk about themselves and their last job and their last boss. And if you're ever in this situation, keep your mouth shut because what's actually happening is they're letting you talk until the crazies come out because eventually we all tell on ourselves. You're in that seat long enough, and eventually you'll tell people how long you actually want to work every day. You'll tell people how much effort you want to put in. Eventually, you're trying to get that new hire and that job. You'll tell your new employer whether or not you really want this job because you like the job or you're just in it for the paycheck. If we let you talk long enough, the crazies will start to come out. It's true in hiring practices, and it's true in our faith life. If you let someone talk long enough, they might start out real good. They might start out with, well, you know, bless God, I'm healed. Jesus has healed me, hallelujah. And then you let them talk a little longer. It's, you know, his ways are above my ways. I don't understand this sickness, but bless God, I'm sure he'll do something about it. Then you let them talk a little longer and it degrades a little more. Well, you know, uh, you know, I just don't understand God, what he's trying to teach me, but I'm sure there's a lesson here in this pain somewhere. And we get so off track from our goal. We get so off track from the faith that we're supposed to be expressing. We get so off track from the goal that's supposed to be set before us. And it starts to, we start to confess where our heart is really at. The power of living healed and whole is in your saying and in your believing, in your confession and in your belief, Mark 11, 23 and 24. Truly I say to you, whoever says that this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it's going to, believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. And then the second part, therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you receive them and they will be granted to you. Are we going to believe what we pray for is actually going to happen? Are we going to believe not the theory about what we're praying for, not the homiletics, hermeneutics, philosophy of what we're praying for, not that what we're praying for is good scripture, and man, it's got a lot of scripture backing behind it, and I can really see it in the Old Testament and New Testament, or are we at a place where we believe, not theory, not theorize, not because we've seen a few experiences, but we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, I prayed for it, it's going to happen. Do we come to that place where we understand that we can Read chapter 24 with full faith. Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe you've received them and they will be granted for you. Many, many people are believing more in the confession or the practice 
they're believing in the process than they are in the what. There's a lot of people that believe in the process. We have prayer teams and groups of people all over the country who are believing in the process. Come forward, get prayed for, we're gonna anoint you with oil, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And they believe in the process. But when they're praying, are they believing in the what? The backside of the process, the promise of God that they're chasing. Are they actually believing that what they're praying for is going to happen? Meaning that, that we believe not just in a practice, but we believe that when we say we are healed, we are healed. That when we say we are blessed, we are blessed. When we say that relationship is restored, we believe it's restored. See, the fact is many of us are waiting for the tangible outworking. We're waiting for it to manifest rather than believe for it. We're actually believing when we get it, not before we get it. And the, the key to this scripture is understanding that it's a belief set in our heart and our mind that says, no, right now, even though I don't see it, I don't feel it tangibly, maybe it's not something that's materialized right in front of me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I prayed for it. I know the promises of God are yes and amen. So I believe this is going to happen today, or I believe this is going to happen in my life as I pray today. Why are we at times terrified of the what? There's so many times we're praying for something and we're actually kind of scared that it's gonna happen. God, are you gonna heal me? We're scared that the healing's coming. God, are, are, you, gonna, are you gonna bless me in this way and we're afraid for the blessing? God, we're, we're praying for the best intention for our life and for the lives of others, but many times the what is what we're actually scared of. It's what we're actually terrified of. The what we're believing for spiritually, physically, financially. But those promises are, are only for the afterlife, right? You know, when God says he's gonna do the impossible and he's gonna heal my body and he's gonna bring me to a place of, of prosperity or that God's gonna fix a relationship or that God's gonna make me whole or that depression is gonna leave, that's not for here, that's just for off in the future. No, the Bible says in the words of Jesus, my will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this, we are praying the eventual will, we are praying the, the factual will of God as we pray towards those needs, those wants, those desires, those moments where God is fixing and making right those issues in our life that are broken. Mark 11, 23 and 24, truly I say to you, whoever says of this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe you receive them and they will be granted to you. And the next objection is very simple, is the will of God. You know, we can't pray outside the will of God, come on. We gotta, we gotta pray within the bounds of the will of God. I'm gonna just bring your attention to Mark 11 and 23 and 24. Nowhere in that scripture is the will of God mentioned. He says you a whole lot. Whatever you ask, whatever you pray, you have received them. They will be granted to you. He talks about you a lot. He leaves his will out of it. God is literally telling us that he believes enough in us that we will literally pray the will of God as we are led, moved, guided by the Holy Spirit. That if we'll just open our hearts and our minds, that we're not gonna pray something contrary to the will of God. He's not worried about that. But so many of us are because internally, we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves that the more that we're asking of God is actually growth and not greed. Many of us believe that anything we experience that's more in life is greed. Why is it greed? I have two kids and they're always wanting more. 
Every time I turn around, Nash wants more, Noble wants more, they want more food, they want more experiences, they want more toys. Listen, there's a time and a place for everything. We're gonna get to God's timing in a second. There's a time and a place for everything in life. But my kids, as they grow and develop, they want to experience more. They want more dad time, they want more mom time. I can't, I I just love it and I hope it never subsides, but they want more hugs and kisses. I just love everything about it, being in fellowship with those two two little kids. The fact is, the more that they want is not greed. My son doesn't ask for more Legos because he's greedy and he's hoarding up Legos somewhere in the closet. Ha, <laughs> I'm gonna get all the Legos in the world. No other kid will have them. He's, he's, he's asking for more Legos because he wants more experience. He doesn't ask, you know, Noble doesn't ask for more coloring pages and crayons because he's hoarding up crayons somewhere to try to keep them from all the other kids. He's doing that because he wants more experiences We have somehow denied ourselves our childlikeness in God. There are no adults of God. You're all children of God. We somehow expect ourselves to grow up to where we have reached our capacity and the limits we have reached in God have already been set and we're not going to experience any more. And if we were given any more, then somehow it's somehow greed and not growth. Listen, just like my children are growing, you are growing in your relationship with God. You are growing in your discipleship with God. There is so much more to experience. When you ask him for a financial benefit, it is not necessarily greed. Maybe it's growth. Maybe it's the first time you've ever asked God to do anything in your finances. Maybe it's the first time you've actually believed that when you give, you can't outgive God and that whatever you give, he's gonna pour back in your life bigger and better than you could possibly imagine. Maybe, just maybe that relationship that you're asking to be restored isn't greed, it's simply growth. Because now once that relationship is restored, you can lead others on the path of restoration for their broken relationships. Maybe, just maybe the brokenness of your body, the physical healing that you need when God comes through and heals you, it is not greed, it's growth. Because now you can show others and point them to the way for their healing. Why do we get this idea That every time we want more, more of God, more of this, more of his blessing, more of his provision, more of his abundance, that it's automatically greed. We've forgotten that we are nothing more than children before the throne of God. There's another thing that keeps many of us from experiencing experiencing the full-on promises of God. As we read in Mark 11, 23 and 24, truly I say to whoever uh, says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen. It will be granted to him. Therefore, I I say to you, all things for which you pray, ask. Believe that you receive them and it will be granted to you. Some of you have gotten past the place of those contrary thoughts. You're, You're really good at bringing the thoughts, those contrary thoughts into subjection. Some of you have gotten even to the place where you're committed in your heart. I'm going to believe what God says no matter what. I'm just going to set my face like a stone, and I'm going to believe everything that God says for me. I'm going to believe the promises of God just like that thermostat. I'm going to set it, and I'm going to go after it. And the number one thing that steals away people's faith after that moment is time. Time is the biggest thief of faith on planet Earth. It is the biggest thief of faith that's out there. We don't get what we want when we want it. Well, God must not have heard me. Man, my kids are the same way. My oldest loves to eat. That kid, if I, if, if I gave in every time he asked for food, he'd be eating every two minutes and he'd be 500 pounds. He loves to eat. I don't know where he gets it. 
Probably his mother. <laughs> She's not here, so we'll blame it on her. I know, oh, I'm gonna hear for that one later. It's definitely not Lori. She eats much like her mom, kind of like a bird. This kid loves to eat, gets it, gets it right after dad, man. Has a sweet tooth, man, a sweet tooth that just comes down the family line. My grandpa has it, my dad has it, I have it. Just that really, man, insatiable sweet tooth. He'll eat pounds of cake, bags of Oreos. This kid loves to eat. But if I gave in every time he wanted to eat, every time he said, dad, dad, can I have something to eat? Every time he said that, he'd be 500 pounds. So I put it off in the right timing. Nope, son, you gotta have it here. This is when you gotta have it. But I don't understand. I want it now. I know you do. I know you think you're hungry. I know right now it feels like your tummy's burning, but you just had like a full five-course meal two hours ago. You'll be all right. Trust me, you ain't starving. And you know, the problem is we get a lot like that kid in between meals. God did something for us that was great and mighty and it was a miracle. It was a literal miraculous hand of God at work in our life. We get, we get two minutes from it. Okay, God, when's the next thing coming? We start tapping our toes. I believe, I set my faith. Man, I'm, I'm getting those contrary thoughts out of my head. I know the promises of scripture. I believe in the principles. But because we don't believe when we pray that it's already ours as if it were in our hands and manifest, we allow time to steal it. It starts to fade away. We cannot allow time to be the biggest thief of the faith of God in our life. We cannot allow time to turn us into petulant children who whine to God, when's it happening, God? When's it happening, God? When's it happening, God? I feel like he's gonna be like that, that irritated mother and say, I'm gonna turn this car around. Many of us look at him that way. But he looks at us with grace and mercy and love. And he says, listen, I know you're whining, but I'll get you there. Just keep the faith Keep the line, toe the line. I'll get you there, son, but keep your faith set. I'll get you there. It might not happen exactly when you want it to. It might not happen exactly when you're anticipating, but I'll get you there. Set your faith. I believe if we were honest with ourselves, time is the number one reason that many of us have missed out on our dreams. Time is the number one reason that some of us have missed out on callings and things that God's called us to because we haven't allowed, or we have allowed, I'm sorry, time to be that big pressure and to steal from us what could be. The Bible says here that, therefore, all things, when you pray, believe. Not believe after you receive. When you pray, believe. When you ask, when you pray, when you go to God, are you just throwing up prayers willy-nilly, hope you catch one, and zap me down a miracle? Are we writing letters to God like we're throwing them in little bottles that scatter the ocean and hoping that he'll pick one up on his desert island and finally hearing us? Or are we actually targeted and direct in our prayers and are asking, God, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at, God, this is what I want. God, this, you said, if I pray and I believe, you would do it. Here it is, I'm putting it before you. And then are you allowing yourself to set your face like stone? I'm going after it, that's mine, laser focused. You can't push me to the right or the left. I know what's mine and I know what God's called me to. We are not asked to pay for the object of our faith. We are simply asked to believe for the promise. Listen, get this in your heart, get this in your spirit. You are, you are not asked to pay for it, you are asked to believe for it. I don't care what it is, financial, physical, emotional, relational. I don't care what on this earth that you are believing for. But whatever it is, you are not asked to pay for it. But too many of us live our life that way. God, I've done all these things. 
I have done really well with the process. God, I know the healing process, the rules and all the scriptures and how to pray. And God, I, man, I, I have mastered the process. And you think that's going to turn his hand. Sometimes we, we get in our prayer closet and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. God, finally we ask, have I done enough? It's really what we're asking. Would you be benevolent to me in this moment? God, haven't I done enough? Maybe you go on that diet that's supposed to cure it all. It's supposed to cure everything. God, I'm finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit. I'm gonna eat nothing. I'm gonna eat nothing but vegetables growing in my own garden. They taste like dirt, but God, I'm doing it anyway. God, because I wanna be healed and we think we've paid off God to such a degree that he'll finally give us the object of our faith. That is not at all what he's called us to. That is genetically altered Christianity that says when you pray, you pay. That is not what God says. He says that if you would believe, not pay, not pay for what you're seeking, if you would hold your faith strong and believe that you will have the object back of your prayers. I didn't say this last service because I got ran out of time, but faith insists on obtaining. It has to obtain. Faith has to grab onto something. Something has to materialize or it's not faith. It insists on it. Eventually, faith has to have the object back of what it's after. You can't say you have faith and it never materialize. That's just wishful thinking. Eventually, you have to have what you're going after. It insists on possessing possessions. That possession might be your wholeness in your physical body. That possession might be something that you're believing for physically. That possession might be a restored relationship. But it insists on possession. It has to possess something. Because if it doesn't, it's an an empty-handed prayer. It's an open-ended prayer that has no real faith behind it. We are not called to pay for something that God simply says we're to believe for. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's a mountain that's so big you can't even see potential in how it is to move. God did not call you to figure out how to excavate that mountain. He did not call you to bring in the dozers, bring in the team, bring in the team of engineers to figure out how to move that mountain. He called you to believe that that mountain would be ripped up from its roots and cast over on itself. He called you just to believe that it's possible, that that thing can be uprooted and torn down on itself. He didn't ask you to figure it out. I'll I'll explain how this works in kind of a, a generic concept. My wife and I, when we, uh, when we first moved here, we knew that in order to start the church and really get things going, there were some things we were going to have to buy. I was up for a new vehicle, so we figured we would just buy for our family a new truck so I could pull the trailer that we had all of our stuff in to do church every week. Now, I was going through the books. I'm like, okay, God, these F-150s cost this amount of money, and man, they're really expensive, and I'm going to have to get like a 10-year-old truck in order for it to even work out. And I'm trying to do all the math in my head. And I was sitting in a car, I was sitting in a truck in this car dealership over here at Dahl Ford. And I'm sitting in the truck, looking at the truck and just thinking, okay, I'm gonna, how am I going to make this work? God literally spoke to me, you like this one? I was like, yeah, I like this one. This is awesome, but it's way outside, way outside my price range. He said, that's not what I asked. Do you like this truck? I said, yeah, it'd be great. But again, trying to figure it out. He said, go ask the manager. At this time, I actually worked for the dealership. He said, go ask the manager what they'll actually give it to you for. So I went in and we hadn't even, Lord, I hadn't even talked about actually buying a truck yet. I went and I talked to Tim. I said, hey, Tim, what's it gonna look like for me to buy this truck? This truck was a F-150. It was an FX4 package. It was an upgraded package. Had these big decals down the side of it. I didn't know that that truck had been on the dealership's lot for almost a year. 
Tim looked at me and said, I want to get rid of that thing. That thing's so ugly. I hate those decals on the side of the truck. I said, well, great. I will buy it. But what's it going to cost? He said, well, I don't know. And he rounded out some figures. And finally, he threw me a number, and it was exactly what I was prepared to pay for a vehicle, what we'd actually budgeted for. So, well, that kind of works. And I was thinking, well, how good of a deal can I actually get on this? Not trying to push the envelope, but man, if you're taking off that much, let's see if I can get a little more off. So I asked him for a little bit more money off, but I said, under condition. You take those ugly graphics off, and if there's a big old stain in the paint that I'm paying like $5,000 less, really going to try to get a good deal. But if it's fine, if, it, if it, the, the graphics come off and it looks good, then I'll pay for what we settled at. And so he took the graphics off, and it looked great. I said, dang it, God, why didn't you just mess that paint up a little bit? Like, all I needed was a little fade, and I met a guy five grand off that car. But God literally provided in a moment where we thought there was no way that we could get what we were looking for. That is a simple example. That's just a simple truck to help us do ministry and cart around some gigantic trailer for three years. It had nothing to do with anything more than just trying to do the will of God. And you say, well, yeah, but you got this big old nice truck of it. I did. And I also paid very little for that truck, turned around and sold it a few years later back to the same dealership, and they gave me three grand. Listen, the promises of God, if we will set our face, if we will set our face strong, if we will set our face and just look through the promises of God like a laser, man, that faith just comes at us. It's just strong. We're not moved. We're not allowing our, 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 our gaze, our vision to be moved to the right or left. If we will set it strong and listen to him, he will surprise you with what he'll do for you. The promises that he will open up in your life, the healed and whole moments where anything that's broken in your life becomes healed and whole and it remains whole. Not because you're good, not because you're strong, but because of everything Christ did on that cross, that you can focus in like a laser knowing that's the promises of God. That you get past this idea of allowing contrary thoughts to flood your mind. That you get past this idea of time and you don't allow time to be the biggest thief of your faith. That you get to the place where you are so focused in that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you prayed, that's gonna happen. That when you prayed, what you prayed for is going to happen. I remember praying, actually praying, that my wife would be my wife. Not wishing or hoping, but sitting down in a cornfield out here in Iowa, hunting with my dad and my grandpa. My grandpa looked at me and said, hey, you love that girl that you're dating? I was like, well, how do you, how do you answer your grandpa? I'm like, yeah, I do, I guess. Well, then why aren't you marrying her? I don't know, because I'm young and stupid. I don't know when I'm supposed to do this. Like, how, how's this supposed to happen? We trot off into this cornfield where we're shooting some pheasants, and I can literally, at that moment, just hear God as I'm praying, I'll, I'll make this happen. Now, God didn't manipulate her in any way, shape, or form, but he knew that he had called these two people. And you, he knew he had called us to a like vision and a like mind and a like direction. And that if we were to come together, that God would, would bless our marriage. But it didn't happen because I just willy-nilly walked into it. I prayed about it and said, okay, God, this is the one I want. Let's make it happen. You know, at the time, we weren't even dating. We were just kind of friends. You know, that friend thing, you know, where you're like, anyway, we were just kind of friends. I was hoping it was going to work out, but I wasn't too sure. But God assured me in that moment that, yes, you want the object of your faith? Set it strong. Then a year later, I gave her these little diamond chip earrings for Valentine's Day, and she dumped me said, I love you, and she dumped me. I thought, God, you're, this ain't right. This is ridiculous. How can she, I gave her diamond earrings. They're supposed to be relationship super glue. That ad is a lie. 
And a year later, we were engaged. I don't know how it's all gonna work out. I don't know the bumps on the road. I don't know exactly the path that God has you on. I don't know if the healing, exactly how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or what doctor you might pass through or what, what uh, a procedure you might pass through. But I know that God is intent that that healing is coming. I don't know exactly the setup that he's making for you to be restored in that broken relationship, but it's coming. I don't know exactly how he's going to set you up for the prosperity that he has for you and your family, but if you'll stay steadfast in faith, it is coming. We just have to set our faith, set it like a laser, and know what we're called to. I wanna encourage you as we close out this series, living healed and whole is truly about setting our faith for something that we can't get on our own. Understanding that Jesus paid for it at the cross and understanding that it isn't even the will of God that we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out the destiny and purpose and design and direction that God has for us. And we pray that into existence. We pull that into real life as we set our faith and we're not moved in one way or another.